Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In the mid-80s, there's only one thing better than being young. Being young in New York City. New York in 1986 was absolutely fun. A time of irresponsibility, freedom, being able to express yourself. It's exploding in every nightclub and on every screen and book. New York is the epicenter of youth culture. But it's also one of the most dangerous cities in America. In those days, New York City was a lot different than it is now. New York was still very rough and tough. 42nd Street was a place with porn theaters and, and, and things like that. New York had thousands of homicides a year. In New York City after hours, there's no place more dangerous than Central Park. There was sort of this fear, like, don't go into Central Park, don't let your kids out. And it was the sort of uh, atmosphere where you really had to watch yourself. I'm not worried. Maybe I should be. There was a woman on a bicycle takes an early morning ride and she noticed what she thought was a, a body or a person lying in the grass. She got closer, she realized it was a girl. She was horrified. And she went to the nearest phone and called the police. The body was found in a state of uh, undress. Within minutes, the site of the chance discovery is a bustling crime scene, led by Detective Mike Sheehan. I examined her. She was, you know, pretty swollen, pretty beat up. She had uh, marks on her neck, legs spread. Sheehan is a veteran with 18 years on the force. He knows how to read a crime scene. This one offers a clue straight away. The contents of her purse was strewn. So we had an identification on her. Her name is Jennifer Levin. She was just 18 years old. 
Lisa Moyer knew Jennifer from high school. Jennifer was a go-getter. She was ballsy, but she was hilariously funny. She didn't take herself too seriously at all. Jennifer grew up in Port Washington, Long Island. Her parents were Steve Levin and Ellen Levin. Both seemed like very cool people. But her parents were divorced when she was five. Before she started high school, Jennifer moved in with her father in a loft in Soho. She wanted to go to high school in Manhattan. The Levins decide to send Jennifer to the exclusive Baldwin School. Baldwin is where we met. Jennifer fit into that school like she was there since the day that school opened. It was like she owned that school. Everyone seemed to flock around her. You know, she just had this great way of when you were in like the worst of moods. She would always come in with a big smile. She was very much into fashion. She always wore a set of pearls tied in a knot. She always put herself together so well. She liked music, concerts, boys, like all of us. We were teenagers. Jennifer becomes part of a rich social scene, an exclusive group of privileged kids known as preppies. But how do you know you got a real preppy? I mean, do they have to have papers or something? Well, officially, a preppy is somebody who has gone to a prep school. Unofficially, there is a, a kind of a state of mind. They were people that went to private schools who were being groomed to go to Yale, to Harvard, to the Ivy League schools. There was this fascination with preppies, the way they dressed. To those of us outside of it, they seemed in another world. Although her downtown address and hip clothing don't fit the typical preppy mold, she and her friends are part of that rarefied world. She hung out with a group of kids from various New York prep schools. Jennifer started getting into that crowd, probably because of parties she was invited to separately from people in our school. She was more the preppy girl than the rest of us from Baldwin. The center of the social scene for Jennifer and her preppy friends is on East 84th Street, just blocks from Central Park. Their hangout, their clubhouse was Dorian Dreadhand. There's a bar on the uh, Upper East Side. The owner of the bar had, I believe, nine kids. Um, they were all private school kids on the Upper East Side. And so it was naturally a place where their friends came to drink underage. There was almost a kind of family feeling about the place because it was such a regular hangout for so many of them. At Dorian's, Jennifer is the life of the party. She was outgoing, she flirted, she had crushes. And it's at Dorian's, one faithful autumn night, that a new crush catches her eye. And she asked her friend, who's that? And the friend said, oh, him, he's Robert Chambers. And Jennifer said, oh, he's gorgeous. Robert was a country club kind of prep. He definitely had that, that way about him. He was pretty nicely dressed, tall in stature, nice build. Jennifer and Robert only exchanged glances that night. It will be a year before they finally meet. While on a break from an on-again, off-again boyfriend, Jennifer and her friend Betsy go out. Where else? To Dorian's. To Jennifer's delight, Robert is there. Betsy went over and talked to him, and he asked her, who's that girl you're with? And Betsy came back from that conversation and told Jennifer, 
He says you're the best looking girl he's ever seen. So Jennifer was motivated to go and sit down with him. Robert and Jennifer find they have a lot in common. They were both beautiful kids and they, they came from this protected world of the private schools. They did not go to school together, but they had many mutual friends and traveled in the same larger circle. After that night, Robert and Jennifer can't get their minds off each other. She had a crush on him, for sure. They were clearly into each other. In July, Jennifer Levin and Robert Chambers have their first date. They just got together and went over to Robert's house where he knew his mother was out, and they had sex. I think it's common sense that anyone who's a teenager has a sex drive. Teenagers experiment. It's not out of the norm. When she came back, there were quite a few messages from Robert on her phone saying, let's get together again soon. And she was thrilled. They were probably seeing each other for a few months. What I'd known of their relationship was to be more a casual relationship. Summer romance, you know. Jennifer is heading to Boston soon to start Chamberlain Junior College. On August 25th, the two meet by chance at Dorian's. Little does she know, it will be the last time she sees her summer love. Or anyone else. I mean, she's 18, for God's sake. She's 18. It knocked the hell out of me. My daughter was a year old. It was just, it was horrifying. Investigators try and piece together a working narrative for the crime. Guys were saying maybe she was a prostitute, was picked up, you know. I was like, a prostitute? She was very well groomed. Everything about her was a very a classy kid. It was obviously not the kind of homicide that we were used to. He's left with more questions than clues. Here's this woman in the park, and you don't know why, how'd she got here? What brought her to Central Park? Why is she here? The answers may be staring Sheehan in the face. He had, like, scratches on his face. It looked like he was in some kind of an accident. He was there watching the whole scene. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Crime in New York City has reached epidemic proportions. Jennifer Levin's corpse was found just an hour ago. The body was discovered at 6 a.m., She is one of over a thousand murders and counting. But few victims that year would get the same attention. There was a huge, huge, huge pressure on the cops to solve this because this was a very rich girl from a very, very good family and you can't have a maniac running around and getting away with it. To the untrained observer, you'd look at this and you'd say, oh my God, this poor girl was raped and killed in Central Park. That's what the killer wanted you to think. This is what it appeared to be. But something about the crime scene seems off. Her body looks too perfectly posed. Her body was found without underwear. She had a short denim skirt on. Uh, That was pushed up. The bra and shirt were pushed up. Detective Mike Sheehan can't shake a gnawing suspicion. I think in reality, there was no sex at all. It did appear that the crime scene had been staged to look as though a sexual assault had happened. For Sheehan, the pressure to find the killer is looming large. Press was everywhere. They were trying to figure out, being in the press, what the best venue was for them to get a shot. It was was a mess, total mess. The crime scene has turned into a media circus. A body found in Central Park puts the city on edge. I don't understand why the police can't keep Central Park safe. The body of the young woman was found in the park early this morning. I was with a post. It was a balmy, warm day, and this beautiful young woman, this teenager, has just been found murdered in Central Park. And at that point, no one knew who was involved. We were in touch with the cops to find out what they knew. Within hours, the earliest reports and theories trickle into the papers. She was raped. The body was dumped. A mysterious car was involved. Meanwhile, 
Sheen manages to keep Jennifer's name secret long enough for his first wrenching task, informing her parents. They were told the tragic news that she was no longer alive. I can't think of anything more painful. It was a nightmare. It was very, very difficult for them. I can only imagine what they were going through. It's just, it just was horrifying. Jennifer's mother, Ellen, rushes to Central Park. She's faced with a terrifying scene. I was thrown into, of course, the worst moment of my life, but it was made twice and three times as bad by the media circus that surrounded it. My throat closed. I couldn't talk. I couldn't react to anything except fear. It was one of the most horrifying moments of my life. Jennifer's father, Steve, reaches out to her friends. Her father told me that she was murdered in Central Park the night before. And I'm sorry. I just lost it. We were all in such a state of shock. And I remember crying to him on the phone. And he, he was crying as well. And like almost hyperventilating. Sheehan has a difficult task. Pressing Jennifer's father for any information that might help police figure out what happened to her. Where was she last night? Let's retrace the last steps. We began a systematic investigation. And he told the police Jennifer had made a plan to go out with two of her girlfriends. They were celebrating sort of end of summer. She had planned to spend the night away from home at a girlfriend's house. He has something that may be helpful. He said, I have a date book of my daughter's. It's an ordinary book like many people had before they had iPad calendars. Steve Levin gave the book to the police and said, if this helps you, it's got the address section in the back. So the police started with the girlfriends who'd been with her. Though distraught, the young women managed to help she and reconstruct what they know about Jennifer's last night. So I went to a Mexican restaurant. They had a couple of drinks. They reached Dorian sometime after midnight, roughly. This was before cell phone and texts and tweets, but friends had arranged to meet there. They said at 3.30, she was with X, Y, and Z. And then you go in and you get X, and they go, well, at a quarter to four, she was with Y and Z. And then you get Z, who says, I left her with Robert Chambers. Oh, he's a friend. He's, he's part of our group. Robert Chambers showed up at the bar. Jennifer was delighted to see him. She approached him, and they were hanging out with groups of people. It seems the last of Jennifer's friends to see her alive was Robert Chambers. Obviously, he, he was a person that we wanted to talk to. We went to the apartment on 90th Street, where he lived. Detectives bring Robert down to the Central Park Police Station to meet Sheehan. He said, I'm here to help. The first thing that hit me was that the kid had tremendous presence. He's a handsome kid and uh, charming. But Sheen is distracted by something. Scratches on Chambers' face. Chambers had told detectives that his cat scratched him. He said, I had him in my arms and I threw him in the air and he freaked out when he came down. That's what happened. And then we began to talk to him. And it was at that point I told him that she was dead. He was like, oh my God, she's dead, oh my God. Sheehan fires up the video camera and asks Robert, what happened on that last night? Robert says he saw Jennifer around 2 a.m. 
and they discussed her leaving for college. We started talking and I was explaining to her that I was interested in other people and that you're going away and I don't want to be bothered. Bar emptied out around 2, 3 in the morning. And Robert was still there drinking and Jennifer, she was the last girl there. <laughs> and they left the bar about 4 o'clock in the morning. They said goodbye in front of Dorian's. He walked his way, she walked her way. Robert says it's the last time he saw Jennifer, but Sheehan isn't buying it. He thinks the scratches on Robert's face tell a different story. So he grills his suspect through the night. He continuously uh, kept to the same story. They said goodbye in front of Dorian's and um, kept going back, doing the old Columbo routine, like, you know, uh, I can't remember as well as I used to, you know, would you do me a favor, would you repeat that one more time? The interrogation drags on for nearly 12 grueling hours until Chambers stumbles. And this time he says, well, I'm walking up 86th Street and uh, I'm by a donut shop. And I said, well, what? And, he, you know, he looked because he knew he screwed up. I said, what are you talking about? All day long he's saying, you said, you said goodbye to her in front of Dorian's and now you're on Lexington Avenue. So I said, what happened to your face? Don't sit here and bull me that, you know, these things came from a cat. What do you got? You have a mountain lion? Robert Chambers is about to break with a story that's stunning. The press has been desperately circling to get any information they can run on their front pages. It was all happening in real time. The press was gathered as they were questioning Robert Chambers. We had our ears on the police radio. We had sources up over police plaza and we, any little thing we could find. It's a hot story and it's about to catch fire. Robert Chambers admitted being with her in the park, admitted that they had started to have a sexual encounter. But Robert claims their night together suddenly turned violent. He said, I looked really cute and I would look cute to tied up. And I thought, you know, she was just horsing around. And she wrapped her underwear around my wrist, but they were locked. And they were behind my back because I was leaning on my hand. And she just pushed me back like this and then got on top of my He admits she was the one who scratched his face, not his cat. And that's not all. What he was saying is that Jennifer had squeezed his testicles and, uh, and she hurt him. It really hurt and I, just, I couldn't take it anymore and I was screaming in pain. My partner stopped and asked him like, so what you're trying to tell Sheehan and I is that you were raped in Central Park by a woman? And he said, yeah. And we, we both laughed and, and said to him, you're the first guy that I've ever heard that happen to. And uh, Chambers went, well, I'm sure it happens all the time because it happened to me. Robert claims what happens next was done in self-defense. I was wearing a dress. Okay, I'm like that. I couldn't move, and I managed to get this hand free, and my legs were out, and she's facing this way, kneeling on my chest. So I reached up like this and grabbed, and I came down like that on my hand. And I keep, keep looking backwards. He came over this way and landed right there, right next to the tree. He just reached down with his arm and flipped her back uh, over his head, and that was it. 
She didn't move again. When Chambers realized Jennifer was dead, he froze and didn't leave the park. He was sitting on a stone wall in a state of shock when the police and the ambulance came. God knows what was going through his mind, but uh, it was intriguing. I was scared. I didn't want to touch her. So I didn't know what to do. A suspect is under arrest in the murder of a young woman whose body was found in Central Park, and police say he was not a stranger. The day he's arrested, his family hires renowned defense attorney Jack Littman and his co-counsel Roger Stavis. This would have been my first case as a criminal defense attorney. Very quickly, we focused on preparing the case and preparing for trial. The first thing Jack Littman did was uh, go to the judge and say, Robert's going to be let out of jail immediately because this was an accident. It wasn't his fault. It was this girl's fault. Jack Littman, he was notorious for blaming the victim. He'd done it in other cases to the point where there was a phrase called being Littmanized, which meant being subject to being blamed for your own crime. Some people's thinkingness or other people's ordinariness, and I'm really not going to comment about the specifics of, of the sexual doing. He really played up the, the Robert Chambers was pursued by this aggressive, promiscuous girl who then got over-aggressive during sex. Me and Jack Littman, we were pariahs because we were blaming the victim. Of course, we were not blaming the victim. What we were doing was corroborating the circumstances as described by Robert Chambers. We were doing our jobs as professionals. It's a version of events that sends New York City's notorious tabloid press into a frenzy. There was a lot of media interest and early on, Jack Littman was making Robert Chambers available. Headlines sum up Robert's defense with a pair of words that becomes tabloid newspaper history. Rough sex. Chambers accidentally killed Levin during rough sex. We had the immediate feeling it was a huge, huge tabloid story that was gonna sell lots of extra papers uh, for weeks and months. It had the murder of a pretty young girl, money. Six. It had everything. While the press is selling papers with Robert's version, they're also selling Robert himself. He was portrayed as this wonderful, handsome, charming guy who all the boys idolized and all the girls adored. I mean, I guess anybody can do anything, but he is the nicest, he's friendly. He just wouldn't, I just can't see him doing anything like that. How could he, somebody like him possibly have done something? She must have provoked it. Yeah, you just have to use your common sense. Obviously, she's too young to use her own. Headline by headline, the public becomes intoxicated by Robert. People would just say to me, he's so good looking, I can't believe he'd have to force a girl to have sex. While Jennifer's reputation is trashed, she was painted as a slut, as a vamp, as a promiscuous, sexually aggressive person. The context of a lot of the headlines and the stories was that she asked for her murder, that she provoked it even. 
and the whole story is given a made-for-tabloid's name. The Preppy Murder. On October 1st, Robert Chambers is freed on bail. Meanwhile, Jennifer's family is looking for justice. Uh, in 1986, I was a prosecutor in the Manhattan DA's office, an assistant district attorney in charge of the Special Victims Unit. To see the Levin's experience losing a child, nothing worse in my mind, but then to see how the media portrayed her, saying what a good kid Robert was and that Jennifer had brought on her own death. Can't think of anything more painful. There were hundreds of reporters the news media were there en masse with cameras and microphones. As fall turns to winter, attorneys work towards the January 4th trial date. The defense's case will hang on Robert's claim. Jennifer Levin was essentially strangled during rough sex. And rough sex was what Robert Chambers told the police officers and the detectives. To prove Jennifer and Robert's sexual encounter was part of a kinky yet consensual sexual relationship, Lippman and Stavis argue they're missing a key piece of evidence. That date book Jennifer's father gave to the police. I had interviewed all of her friends. They told me that she had kept a diary and that the diary included uh, sexual uh, liaisons that she had had. Uh, we wanted access to the diary. Defense attorney Jack Lippman claims he's missing crucial evidence, Jennifer's date book. He believes it could reveal crucial truths about Jennifer's sex life, so he makes a calculated move. He began just flatly on his own to use the expression sex diary. Sex diary became the headline. A non-existent, completely, may I say, sleazy choice of words from my adversary to use. Prosecutor Linda Fairstein argues in front of the judge that the date book has no relevance to the case and claims the defense is attempting to publicly smear the victim. We had it taken to the judge to examine, and a week later, he gave it back to me and made a ruling that it was not a sex diary. I was one of the few people that read Jennifer's journal that had nothing to do with rough sex. The diary is ruled as inadmissible evidence. But in the public eye, the damage is done. In the trial ahead, Linda Fairstein knows she faces an uphill battle. We were determined to find out as much about Robert Chambers. What would bring a 19-year-old to this point in his life? What we found was a very long, very disturbed criminal history of Robert. Mike Sheehan and I were able to trace more than 30 burglaries and thefts that he had committed. It turns out, Robert's preppy facade is covering up a blue-collar life. He was not wealthy. His mother was a nurse. She worked her fingers to the bone, uh, and it really was for Robert Chambers. He was not a well-to-do preppy kid at all. He grew up with these kids. They had money. He never had money of his own. Robert also needs to feed a raging drug habit. He was a drug addict from the age of 14 on. Despite multiple attempts at rehab, he struggled through prep school after prep school. 
Robert Chambers had been thrown out of several because of his drug use. He started college. He was thrown out of Boston University again for drug use. Jennifer Levin and her friends knew Robert had a reputation for drugs and for stealing. Detective Sheehan believes she had the bad luck of catching him at it firsthand. It's our theory that she finds him rifling her purse, and that's how the entire thing begins. Because the contents of her purse was strewn, also the fact that she had $40 in her bag, which is now gone. Her girlfriends told us that she had 40 bucks. Maybe Jennifer confronted him. She was ballsy. If there was an issue, she will confront you right away. And she had no problems articulating how she felt. She probably said to Robert, how dare you, and I'm going to tell everyone what you did. And I think that threw him into a rage. When her body was found, Jennifer wasn't wearing her earrings. After he killed her, like many junkies, like many drug addicts, you leave nothing of value. And I've always believed that after she was dead, he coldly took those earrings, put them in his pocket, and walked away. But Fairstein can't bring Robert's criminal history to light unless he takes the stand. It's true for any trial. It's only during cross-examination that the prosecution can introduce criminal history outside the case. I needed for him to take the stand at the trial. Over a year after Jennifer's death dominated newspaper headlines, jury selection begins. But finding 12 unbiased members is a daunting task. We went through prospective jurors, more than, I believe, 486 to get our jury of 12. And to this day remains one of the most disturbing parts of how the media influenced public perceptions. Today, opening arguments began in the sensational trial. When Chambers first entered the courtroom for the trial, it was pandemonium. I mean, you had dozens and dozens and dozens of reporters all over. It was like a circus. I've never tried a case with so much media, print, and television. Chambers is charged with second-degree murder, which means prosecutor Linda Fairstein needs to show that Robert attacked Jennifer intentionally. It really hurt, and I just, I couldn't take it anymore, and I was screaming in pain. He said he flipped her, and she never moved again. An accident. I never thought that the accident story made any sense. Jennifer Levin was murdered. Fairstein believes she has proof in the autopsy report. The greatest injury was multiple marks on her neck, long, deep. They were from repeated applications of force, like not just one strangulation, but an active struggle. Somebody has to continue to apply pressure, has to continue to strangle or block your mouth for you to die. This isn't the movies where a guy grabs you by the neck and uh, 10 seconds later, you're dead on the floor. This woman, you know, was strangled and smothered for a prolonged period of time. Then Fairstein presents the jury with another valuable piece of evidence from the autopsy report. Robert Chambers said he and Jennifer Levin had been engaged in rough sex in the park, and that's why she died. In reality, there was no sex at all. In fact, 
Fairstein believes Robert rearranged Jennifer's clothes to make it look like a sexual assault. It was absolutely clear from the examination of Jennifer's body that she had not been sexually penetrated. Fairstein is adamant. If there's no sex, there's no rough sex as a defense. Robert's attorneys argue otherwise. They begin their case with their own medical exam conducted on Jennifer's body to show how Robert strangled her in self-defense. We had an expert forensic pathologist who said that it could be a, a, a mark, not from hands, but from an arm, which would be more consistent with what Robert Chambers had told the police. But the defense's ultimate blow to the prosecution is the witness they don't call. Robert is not testifying. The jury would never hear his history of burglaries. I have to believe that the reason that Robert Chambers did not take the stand and be cross-examined was because they had enough material to cross-examine him to another planet. It was enormously frustrating. After three exhausting months, the case goes to the jury. Days pass without a verdict. Everybody was getting a little concerned. Days six and seven, incredibly tense in the courtroom. And then, news. I believe they sent a note out day seven or eight, that they had been unable to reach a verdict. The jury was hopelessly deadlocked. The jury in the Robert Chambers case was not going to reach a verdict. For both sides, a mistrial would be devastating. The Levins were in complete agreement that nothing would get better a second time around. Now a plea deal might just be their only hope of closure. Manslaughter in the first degree, the second most serious charge. Just a few minutes after five this evening, in a packed and hushed courtroom, Robert Chambers pleaded guilty to the charge of first-degree manslaughter. As part of the agreement, Robert has to admit in open court that he intended to harm Jennifer when he killed her. After refusing to speak during his entire trial, Robert finally expresses remorse. And I wish to apologize to the family and to her friends for all the trouble that they've gone through. I've never wanted any of this to happen to anybody. His sentence, five to 15 years. It was controversial, the functional equivalent under the circumstances of a slap on the wrist. Felt wrong on so many levels. As far as I'm concerned, it wasn't enough and didn't teach him anything. A month after his sentencing, the popular tabloid show A Current Affair releases a video. Thanks to reporter Steve Dunleavy, it was an absolute incredible exclusive. They'd had the party when Chambers was out on bail. And one of the girls had a uh, video camera. Bobby Chambers was sitting on the floor. And then suddenly a doll came up. And when I saw it, I said, my God. I think I killed him. The video? strips away the handsome good guy image and gives the public a look at the real Robert Chambers. I had more calls after that was on air saying, wow, if we'd only known that, we would have thought what a horrible person he was. Probably that video did more to change public reaction to Robert after the trial. Not only did he not have remorse, he thought the whole thing was rather funny. How could he have played around like that and made a joke out of strangling her. After that, it was 
all over for Bobby Chambers. In prison, Chambers racks up infractions for drugs, weapons, and assaulting correctional officers. He serves his full 15-year sentence. He's released in 2003. But in 2007, he's caught selling cocaine to undercover cops in his New York apartment. He gets 19 years, more time for dealing drugs than for killing Jennifer Levin. The drug use and drug sale is not a surprise to any of us who knew that about him. The so-called preppy killer remains one of the most notorious criminals of the 1980s. But the memory that burns the brightest is that of a vibrant teenager whose life was cut too short, Jennifer Levin. I think of her in the happy picture just hours before her death because she was smiling and because everything lay ahead of her. I think about if she'd be married with kids. And I miss her. And I think about her often. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.